Why don't we bow our heads for a word of prayer and let's get started with this message. Father in heaven, we just thank you again for Sabbath evenings. Thank you again for bringing us here together. And Lord, thank you for the promise when two or three are gathered together, there you are amongst them. And Lord, we just praise you for what you're going to say to us tonight and this whole Sabbath. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now everybody put your hands in the air. Go ahead and put your hands in the air. Okay, very good. Now put them a little bit higher. Why didn't you do that the first time? My point is this. You can do better, amen? You can always do better, right? So be here at Sabbath school at 925 a.m. sharp, right? Some of you will be showing up at 10 a.m. in the back. That's not going to work. I'm going to call you out if you show up late, okay? So... Again, I'm really excited about the message. We're going to be taking a good look at the Mount of Transfiguration, okay? We're going to be seeing what the Bible has for us. You know, it's really exciting as we open up God's Word because we're going to discover the things that God wants us to understand, especially for people who are living in this hour, right? It's extremely important that we understand what God is trying to communicate to His end-time people. A very important time because... Things that are happening in our world around us are indicating to us the time is very near. The time is very near. So we need to understand what are the tools that God is giving to us, especially in these end times. So during this weekend, we're going to be taking a good look at various things that God wants us to participate in. Things he wants us to exercise and just experience. Everybody take your Bible, let's go to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 17, Matthew chapter 17, Matthew chapter 17, we're going to be taking a good look at a very interesting story in the Gospel, and it's a story regarding Peter, what name did I say? Peter, Peter. very good, we're going to be taking a good look at an experience that Peter had with Jesus, Matthew chapter 17, if you're there, go ahead and say amen, amen, amen. Now, Matthew 17 is a very interesting chapter. This story that we're going to be looking at appears in three other Gospels. How many other Gospels? Three other Gospels. That's right. And uh, it appears very consistently with some of the other events. Now, what happens before Matthew chapter 17 is very, very important. Peter, who has been following Jesus for a long time, we're getting close to Calvary. And it's been some time, several months since Peter has been following Jesus. And he's starting to really wrap his dreams, his futures, his ambition around this Jesus. And all of this comes crashing down in Matthew chapter 16. When Jesus reveals to Peter, I'm going to die. I'm going to Calvary. And at this time, Peter's mind just begins to be very confused. In fact, he tries to rebuke Jesus. You ever have somebody like that? Anytime they talk to you, they're rebuking you? I have friends, even in their prayers, are rebuking me. I'm like, hey, can you pray for me? They're like, yeah. Dear Lord, please bless Anel. And by the way, help him with that one problem he has. You know, so I have friends like that. Peter rebukes Jesus. He tells Jesus, you are not going to die on the cross. You are not going to suffer. You are not going to sacrifice your life. I have invested so much in this plan. But all of a sudden, Jesus reveals to him, guess what? 
all of this is not according to your planning, your will, your desires. You know what's so amazing is the context of Matthew chapter 17 is Peter is discouraged about the future. In fact, it tells us in Matthew 16, from the time that Jesus rebuked him all the way to the Mount of Transfiguration, there's silence. Nothing is mentioned. The last words of Peter is his response when Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. Can you imagine that? Here's Jesus saying to you, get behind me, Satan. Obviously, we understand he wasn't rebuking Peter personally, but rather the devil had gotten a hold of Peter's perspectives of God. So this is where the story begins. Discouragement. Uncertainty about the future. Trouble. Anxious thoughts. You're worried about what's going to happen next. Or perhaps you're utterly confused and numb by recent events in your life and you're wondering, what else could go wrong? Friends, what's so beautiful about this chapter in Matthew chapter 17 is that it describes a very interesting experience that Jesus led Peter into shortly after his time of discouragement. You know, I love the stories of Jesus climbing mountains. Did you know that was his pastime hobby? In fact, when you study out the Gospels, he is climbing mountains several different times. It's like, where's Jesus? He's climbing a mountain. Early in the morning, he's climbing a mountain. Hey, let's talk about end time events on top of the mountain. Anytime Jesus is talking about very sensitive things, he's on top of a mountain. How many people here have ever climbed a mountain before? Okay, I grew up in Orange County, and there are no mountains in Orange County, okay? The biggest animals we have are pigeons and chihuahuas. That's what we have in Orange County. When I moved up to Northern California, went to school at Weimar College, all of a sudden it was like mountains and hills and the country, and I was exposed to the outdoors. Started going camping and four-wheeling every other weekend. And it was such an amazing thing because I was encountering nature, right? Jesus was somebody who loved nature. It was his sanctuary, the place in which he could be that was closest to the heavenly father. In fact, what is so interesting, have you ever seen, has anybody here ever seen the Himalayas? How many people know what is the highest mountain in the world? It's not that hard, I promise. There's no trick questions here. You're like, Mount Sinai? (laughs) What's the highest mountain in the world? Mount Everest, right? See, I knew it was in there, but you were afraid, right? You know what's interesting? There was a time in my life in which I was just obsessed with Mount Everest documentaries. I would watch so many documentaries of people climbing Mount Everest. And before the year 1980, it was about 80 to 90% certain that if you climbed that mountain, you were going to lose several appendages. It's the cost. In fact, did you know there are over 200 bodies still on top of Mount Everest? Still to this day. There's no way to get them down. They're just frozen up there. In fact, one day I watched this story about a group of uh, uh, mountaineers who were climbing Mount Everest. And they get to this period called the death zone. Do you know why they call it the, the death zone? Because people die there. 
right? They call it the death zone. And it's just the last few hundred feet at the top of Mount Everest. They call it the death zone because storms will all of a sudden come rushing in really quickly. And it will wipe out several groups. 1986, there was a group of hikers who went up there. And when they went up there, excuse me, 1993, they went up there. They, they filmed the whole thing. They came across one man. They showed it on camera. He was just huddled in the side of just this little rock. He ran out of oxygen. He was shivering. And so they're filming the whole thing, and they radio back to base camp. Hey, what do we do here? If we give him our oxygen, we're not going to have enough to get down. But if we also give him our oxygen, we're not going to be able to get to the top. What should we do? And do you know what the guy at base camp told him to do? Leave him. They got to the top, came back down. And the camera crew was filming. He was dead and frozen. Can you imagine those kinds of decisions? Right? 1986, there was a group of mountaineers, several who lost their lives in that expedition. The majority of the people died during that time. They ran out of oxygen. There were storms that happened. There was one man, though, who climbed that mountain with that group who survived. In fact, what was so interesting about this man is that he didn't take any oxygen tanks with him. He had so worked out his lungs that he could withstand the high altitudes that were choking out your breath, your very air. And when he came down from that mountain, there was this great, you know, gathering of all these journalists and radio hosts. And they were there. They were just, even there was camera crew. They were trying to film this whole thing. And they turned to this man and they said, you know, a lot of people died on the top of this mountain. A lot of people lost their lives at the top of this mountain. Why did you go up to this mountain? Did you not know death was waiting for you at the top of this mountain? He replies, looking at them stark right in the camera. And he said, I didn't go up to this mountain to die. I went up there to live. Friends, when God brings you to the top of the mountain, he wants you to live. And I believe conferences like this that take place are special opportunities, special windows for where God wants to pour out his Holy Spirit to revive us, to bring new life, new desires, new hopes into our very experience. So whatever your background is today, wherever you're coming from, whatever spiritual location you are at at this very moment, friends, you are in a good place. Amen? God wants to minister to your heart. Let's open our Bibles. Let's go to Matthew chapter 17. Jed, you did not remove these chairs while I was dissing you. No, no, it's okay, Jed. Sorry. Let's not film that part. (laughs) Let's go to Matthew chapter 17. Let's start with the Bible. Let's start with verse 1. Thank you so much, Jed. Let's see what the Bible says right here. Matthew 17, starting with verse 1. The Bible says something extraordinary about the man Peter. It says this. Now, after six days, how many days? Six days. Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves. You know what's so interesting? Anytime Jesus does something special, he takes these three with him. Now, we sometimes say, wait a minute, why does Jesus seem to choose Peter, James, and John? Number one, because Jesus was a human. Amen? 
He had human relationships. And there are some within his circle that he was especially close to. Peter, James, and John are very interesting individuals. The reason why they went up on the mountain is because there was a great work Jesus was doing in their lives. By the way, did you know Peter, James, and John are the only disciples that received special names? Do you know what Peter's name means? It's like a rolling pebble, right? Do you know what James and John were named? The sons of thunder. Not because they were mighty, but because they had temporal problems, right? They didn't like you. They want to call down fire and burn you up, right? They had anger management issues. So Jesus brought these three up because he was going to do something special with these three. Notice what the Bible says right here. Led them up on a what kind of mountain? Uh, Not a little mountain right here. Many scholars believe this was Mount Nabor, which is really, really high and just sort of looms up really high amidst all the hills and the mountains are there. He brought them up on a high mountain by themselves. And notice what the Bible says right here. He was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light, as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. You know, this is a powerful moment. Here, Peter, James, and John, they're climbing up the mountain. In fact, it says in the Gospel of Mark, when they were climbing up their mount, this mountain, when they stopped, they fell asleep. I mean, they were just tired. Jesus went up this high mountain. And when they're walking up with him, they're just kind of sludging their way up to the top. Jesus stops, and at that very moment, something critical happens. They fall asleep. They're knocked out. At the very moment something special happens, they fall asleep. And do you know what happens when they wake up? They don't just see Jesus there. They see Jesus, they see Moses, and they see who? Elijah. That's interesting. You know, many times pastors talk about this. Or evangelists will talk about this and they'll say something. And this is a story of the second coming right here. A microcosm of the second coming. Moses represents those who have died and will be resurrected. And Elijah represents those who will be translated at the end of time. And that is absolutely 100% true. However, there are other lessons that need to be understood. You see, when Jesus went up this mountain, a few chapters later, Calvary would take place. His disciples were discouraged, and Jesus was concerned about them. He took them to this very special location for a very special experience. All of a sudden, Moses shows up. Elijah shows up. You know what's so powerful about Moses and Elijah, right? These were two experienced mountain climbers themselves. You see, Moses went up onto the mountain with God as well. And Elijah went up onto the mountain. And they went up to the mountain during their time of discouragement. During their time of anxiety. During the times that they were burdened and confused about the future. God brought the very best witnesses to encourage Jesus. But what is so powerful is Jesus at one time encouraged them. And now it was reversed. Such a powerful experience when you begin to understand that. You know what's so exciting about Moses, right? Moses, one day God tells Moses, I'm going to destroy all the people. I'm just going to wipe them out. And I will make you a new nation. 
And you know what happens? Moses starts arguing with God. He says, no, no, no. Don't do that. God acts like Moses to Moses so that Moses could act like God to God. Moses begins to intercede for his people with the character of Christ. When you actually study out the life of Moses, what's so exciting, do you know when he first encountered God? Anybody know? When's the first time he encountered God? No. Wrong. When's the first time he encountered God? By the way, can we turn the lights on over here so I can harass the people in the back? When's the first time Moses encountered God? In the basket. That's actually a good one. I never thought about that, right? That's, that's good. Who taught Moses when he was young? His Hebrew mother, right? It's through her teaching of scripture that Moses began to understand something about God, right? And then later on in Moses' life, when does he encounter God? At the burning bush. And do you remember what God tells Moses? Take off your shoes. You can't come close. Later on, as Moses continues to acclimate in the presence of God. Those are very key words. What happens is God calls him up on the mountain and speaks out of the fire to Moses. And then he appears to Moses later on in his life and Moses sees the feet of God. And then you know what happens later? Moses talks to God and he says says to God, let me see your glory. And God says to him, you can't see my face but you can see my back. And do you know what happens after that? Step by step, God seems to be revealing himself to Moses. And when Moses died and resurrected, who was there at the resurrection of Moses? Jesus, he saw the face of God. But you want to know something? Where Moses truly saw the glory of God is on the mountaintop. You see... In the past, he had looked from imperfection to perfection. Now he was coming from a place of perfection and seeing God wrapped in imperfection. The glory of God was revealed to Moses. How about Elijah? You know what Elijah prayed when he was discouraged? Let me die. Do you know where Elijah is at right now? Do you know, I imagine when people are like, okay, the angels are like, hey, what's your number one praise? He's like, that God didn't answer my prayer. Amen? I mean, think about it. If God answered his prayer, where would he be? Nothing. He wouldn't be anywhere. He'd be dead, right? But the very fact God did not answer his prayer is why he is in heaven today. The man never saw death. And so these two individuals, Moses and Elijah, came down to Jesus to encourage the one who had encouraged them during their time of darkness. You see, friends, Peter, James, and John were also invited into this very moment, this very experience. By the way, you know what else Moses and Elijah represents? Moses represents the law, right? Elijah represents the what? Moses represents the law, and Elijah represents the... Prophets, right? The law and the prophets. So what's my point? That phrase, the law and the prophets, appears over and over in Scripture. Jesus even said, hey, I didn't come to destroy the law or the prophets, right? This symbol of the structure of the government of God and its application was not to be destroyed. In fact, it is part of God's eternal universe. 
Well, what is so amazing is the remnant church are identified as those who keep the commandments of God, the law of God, and have the testimony of Jesus. What's the testimony of Jesus? The prophets. The remnant church possesses the law and the prophets themselves. That's how they're identified. Those that adhere to the Ten Commandments and those that understand God's prophetic plan and dynamic for these times. Friends, it's an exciting thing when you begin to understand the ramifications of Moses and Elijah coming down to speak to Jesus and those three disciples. Something happens, though. Let's see what the Bible says next. Look what it says in verse 5. While he was still speaking. Excuse me, verse 4. Then Peter answered. By the way, had anybody ever asked a question? Was like Moses like, hey, Peter, what do you think about this? Anybody ever say that? Is that actually recorded in Scripture? But it says in all three Gospels, in the midst of this conversation Jesus is having with Moses and Elijah, Peter answered. In other words, he answered a question nobody was asking. I mean, think about it. If you were to do a psychological evaluation of Peter, Peter is someone who processes out loud, right? He thinks out loud. It's like, you know what that guy is thinking because he talks about what he's thinking, right? So here you have the example of Peter. Peter, who's discouraged, all of a sudden has this moment as he's watching Jesus and Moses and Elijah. And he says, it's so good to be here. Let's build a tabernacle for Jesus, for Moses, and for who? Elijah. He says, let's build build a tabernacle for them. And I love what happens at this very moment. Notice what the Bible says right here. Verse 5, while he was still speaking. Now just think about that. You know what that's indicating? He's still talking. He's still going on, right? He's talking out loud. He's the leader in the group. He keeps going, yeah, what do you guys think about that, right? Blah, 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 right? And all of a sudden, notice what it said. A bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. What's that next two words? What are the next two words? Hear him. Do you know we do not have an exact copy or exact recording of what was communicated in that conversation? The only thing we have is in the Gospel, Luke, that says they talked about the decease that would happen in Jerusalem. We don't know what their conversation was about. You want to know why? Because Peter was talking the whole time. Really, he was talking the whole time. He was talking over the conversation that God was trying to bring him into. To listen. Friends, at the very pivotal moment that James, John, and Peter needed to hear something, they were talking. By the way, do you know a good way to know if you talk too much? Is if you talk for more than 35 seconds straight in a conversation. 
You're considered somebody who talks too much. We're probably all guilty of that, right? I'm not going to lie, right? Right? I mean, just think about this. Here Peter is. He's just blah, 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 blah. And all of a sudden, it's like God steps in, God the Father, and says, Peter, please stop talking. Like, listen to what's going on right now. Friends, at the very pivotal moment, God is trying to communicate to us. Our minds could be elsewhere. In fact, if you were to take it today's situation, do you know what would happen? Peter would be up there. He's like, this is a great place. Let's take selfies of each other right now. One for Jesus. One for, Jay, one for Peter. Wait, he's Peter. One right? for um, Moses and Elijah. I mean, literally, that was going on. He was so focused on the experience of fellowship that it began to eclipse the very things that God was trying to communicate to him. Friends, nothing wrong with fellowship, amen? But when God is trying to speak, let's make sure our ears are open to that, right? Such a powerful thing. God had brought Peter, James, and John to commune with God. To corporately commune and receive a special blessing. I love what Ellen White says when she talks about communion. This experience of being up the mountain with Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. She says these words. When every other voice is what? And in quietness we wait before him. The silence of the soul makes more distinct the voice of God. Amidst the hurrying throng and the strain of life's intense activities, he who is thus refreshed with an atmosphere, he who is thus refreshed will be surrounded with an atmosphere of light and peace. He will receive a new endowment of both the physical and mental strength. His life will breathe out a fragrance and reveal the divine power that will reach whose hearts? Man's hearts. You see, God was trying to bless Peter, James, and John with the whole new experience. Because when they would come off that mountain, they would need that new kind of power. Spending time with God, corporately communing with him together in situations like this, and individually is so important, friends. The secret to being a Christian is to be a Christian in secret. Learning to spend time with God on top of that mountain. Before you can go to the multitude, you need to go to the mountaintop with God. And God will bless you with a unique kind of blessing. Several years ago, I never forgot, I had gone on this mission trip to Arizona. We're visiting the Navajo Reservations. And we were helping with the school that was there. And we decided to go visit Grand Can- the Grand Canyon. Anybody here be- visit the Grand Canyon before? Nice place. Giant hole in the ground. Right? It's just, it's a nice place. So everyone's like, let's go visit the Grand Canyon. I was like, okay, let's go visit the Grand Canyon. And that morning I said, you know, I want to just spend some time with God. I got to just get my devotions. I got to commune with God. Not just your regular kind of open up your Bible five minutes, look at Psalms and go on and let's go. I just felt like God wanted me to commune with him. Spend time with Moses and the prophets, right? And Jesus. What was so powerful is that day I just prayed. I said, God, bless me with just a special blessing. I'd gone to the Grand Canyon and I was there. I was looking around at the giant hole in the ground, looking around, the tourists were there taking pictures. And I never forgot, I was about to walk away when all of a sudden I felt this strange impression stop right there. So I stopped, 
And notice where I stopped. I was facing this Hispanic father who was talking to his son. And they were talking in very aggressive kind of Spanish. Right? It could have been Puerto Rican. You know what I mean? <laughs> Anyways. So they were just like, you know, they're going back and forth. And I understood one word. I heard the word Dios. And I was like, I know what that means. <laughs> that means God. And so I just felt this impression, stay right there. And so I was just looking at them like this. <laughs> Can you imagine a six-foot-tall Indian guy just staring at you near the Grand Canyon? And so I was just there. And it got really awkward because while they were arguing, right? The father looked at me and he just saw me staring and I was just. <laughs> and they were arguing and then the son was looking and they were, just, they were going back and forth. And I just, I wanted to leave, but I just felt from God, stay right there. And so I just stayed right there. <laughs> this is the sidewalk. Okay? It's not close to the Grand Canyon. You don't look natural. So I was just there. And I just stayed there. And I, I didn't know what was going on. I just felt from the Lord, stay right there. So I stayed right there. And while they were arguing, they, finally they stopped. The father threw up his hands and they walked right towards me. And they're kind of looking at me with their eyes like this. And I just walked right up there. I took one step and I said, hi. <laughs> this is exactly what happened. And they said, hi. And I said, yeah, I heard you guys arguing over there. <laughs> I really said that. And the father says these words. He said, yeah, my son is trying to tell me this was caused by a worldwide flood. (laughs) And he just had this cynical look on his face, a worldwide flood. And then I look at him and I said, I believe the same thing. (laughs) And this is what he did. He went like this, what? And his son just opened up his eyes. And I said, yeah just give you a few reasons to believe in a worldwide flood. And that month I had been studying the flood out. (laughs) Right? So I went through five different reasons. And this is what the father kept saying. I never heard this before. And every time I kept sharing one thing, the son was like, he really was really excited. And the whole time. And then the father was like, who are you? Where church you come from? And I go, well, I'm I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. And he's like, what's that? I go, well, it's people who believe in the Bible, the entirety of Scripture. And he said, I've never heard this before. And I said, yeah, you know, six-day creation. We believe there was a great catastrophic event. That's why there is fossils in the, you know, in the dirt. You know? And he was like, oh, I've just never heard this before. And I said, yeah, it's really interesting. And I was just going reason after reason. And then he's like, man, that's amazing. I said, yeah, you got to check out a Seventh-day Adventist church. And he's like, yeah, I'll check it out. I just... And he was just so shocked. And his son was just smiling really big the whole time. And then I said, hey, can we pray at the end of this? So he's like, yeah, let's pray. He was totally open and we began to pray. And I was like, man, that's amazing. And they walked off smiling and it was just like the end of a Disney movie or something. (laughs) Anyway, so they walked off. They walked off and it was just a great thing. And I was like, oh, that's good. Praise the Lord. God really blessed. And then they come right back. They said, one more thing. I've got to tell you this. I go, what? Your face was shining the whole time. Look at me. I don't have a natural sheen right here, okay? <laughs> right? I mean, there, there's not something that just sort of sticks out. Right? 
I know it's Arizona, but friends, think about this. I mean, I just don't have this glow. He said, and he's like, it was so interesting. While my son and I were arguing, we kept looking at you because your face had this light to it. And I thought to myself, okay, I've looked in the mirror before, okay? (laughs) And I realized something, that God was supplementing the witness with the divine power. An indication And it was because I was so insistent about spending that morning time with God. He began to add something else. Friends, I really challenge you on this. When you commune with God on top of the mountain. And you come off that mountain. There will be a special edge and power to your life. To your very ministry. Can you say amen to that? One day this beautiful Catholic woman. I was doing a Bible study with her. And that very morning. I was like, Lord, I just, please show me some stuff. And God led me to some powerful verses. And he gave me what, he, what was needed for that day. And I was talking to this wonderful Catholic lady, God-fearing woman. And she had come out to my evangelistic series. And she said, yeah, it makes sense, it makes sense, it makes sense. And I said, well, praise the Lord. And then she says, but I love Mary. I said, God, me too. <laughs> and he's like, but then she said, but. Mary's blessed. I said, I know that. But she's sleeping in the grave, right? And then he's, she, so she just kept saying, but Mary's blessed. And I said, we need to open our hearts to the word of God, the beautiful scriptures. And this wonderful woman, she said, okay, show me a scripture. And that morning, God had blessed me with some blessings. I said, let's turn to Luke 11. And she kept just saying this, Mary's blessed. Mary's so blessed. Mary's blessed. I said, okay, let's go to Luke 11 right now. And so we turn to Luke 11. She's turning there. And she goes to Luke 11. I said, let's go all the way to Luke 11. And we are going to go to verse 27. So she's getting to Luke chapter 11, verse 27. And she says, man, I just, yeah. I was like, okay, let's read the scripture. Let's see what the Bible is saying to us, what God is saying to us. She said, okay. And I said this, verse 27, and it happened, Luke 11, verse 27, and it happened as he spoke these things that a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast that nursed you. And I said, stop right there. Who, whose womb bore Jesus? And then she's like, Mary, like that. I said, what is this woman saying? She is saying, she is blessed like I told you. Then I said, let's read the next verse. And then she said, but he said more than that. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And then I said to her, do you want to know who's more blessed than Mary? And she smiled and she put her head down. She said, those who follow God's word. Friends, God wants us to follow his word. And it starts by communing in his word. God doesn't want you just simply to lean upon him, but lean into him. Right? Lean into him and you will receive a special power. Your experience in the past might have been mundane or routine. But guess what, friends? God wants to give you a fresh experience in the scriptures. A fresh experience in the word of God. And let's get to the end of this story. Let's see what the Bible says next. It's such a powerful thing. 
Matthew chapter 17. Notice what the Bible says right here. Matthew 17. Matthew 17. Verse 7. Matthew 17 with verse 7. Verse 6, I'm sorry. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly, what? Afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, do not be afraid. When they had lifted up their eyes, they saw, what? No one but who? Jesus only. You know what's so powerful about this, friends? When you begin to understand what just happened here. At the very moment that they were fearful, they opened up their eyes, they only saw Jesus. Now, why is that interesting? Because of what Ellen White says right here. She said, of the disciples after the transfiguration of Christ, it is written that at the close of that wonderful scene, they saw no man save Jesus, what? Only. Matthew 17, verse 8. And then notice what she says right here. Jesus only in these words is contained the secret of the life and power that marked the history of the early church. Friends, Jesus only became the priority, the priority of the church, the focus of the church. You know what happened during the time of discouragement and tragedy and brokenness? God gave to them a brand new revelation of who he really is. You see, friends, the first step in revival is revelation. A revelation of who God really is. You know, I had this good friend who was a missionary on this tropical island. And one day he was just walking out on the sand. He was pretty bored, didn't know what to do. His family was out drinking fruity drinks or whatever. And while he was there, some of the natives came to him and they said, hey, You look kind of bored. He's like, yeah. And he said, they said to him, can we show you the most beautiful place here? He said, okay. So they took him into this dark cave on the cliff. And they started going into this cave more and more. And he turned back and he noticed that the entrance was just shrinking. And he was wondering to himself, what's going on here? And then he steps into a puddle of water. He's like, that's weird. There's water way deep into this cave. And they said, keep following us. And then he noticed the water was going up. 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 And finally they said, we are here. (laughs) Just like that. And then he said, what's going on? And then they hear this splash. And they're gone. And he's trying to make out where they're at. They went underwater. He doesn't know what to do. He's thinking to himself, okay. He jumps in, and the only thing he could see in this dark water was the back of their feet. Dark people got some light feet. I'll tell you, we got some light feet on the bottom. Take it out, it's like white. Anyway, so I shouldn't have said that. So they're going in, and he's just paying attention to their feet, and he notices they're going under this kind of rocky wall underneath, and they're going underneath, and they begin to come up. And he can see this light as he's coming into this cavern that was there, deep underwater. And he comes up, and he's like, and all these natives are there, they're laughing. But then he said something was so amazing. He opened up his eyes, and he saw this luminescent 
blue everywhere. And it was all on the water, and it was on him. And it was glowing. The natives had this blue on them. And he said there was a light that was coming from the hole at the top of the sun. And it was just this very beautiful place that was just into this deep cave. You know, he said, he said, at that very moment, I realized something. This is probably what God's heart is like. From all outward views, it looks dark and dangerous. But when you get to the very core of what it really is, it's something so beautiful. Now, friends, I'm going to say something to you that's going to sound a little bit confusing at first. God's heart is not best viewed from outside looking in, but from inside looking out. In other words, we can best understand God by the way he views other people. Friends, during this weekend, we're going to be taking a good look at who God really is. A fresh revelation of who this God really is. There's so many pictures out there, even pictures that Seventh-day Adventists hold about God that are so wrong. And God wants to give to each and every one of us a fresh, beautiful picture of what's really in His heart. And during this time, I believe that we're going to be blessed in a very special way. I believe that God is going to speak to us. In our world today, there are so many pictures that are associated with God. Growing up as a Hindu, I had these pictures that were associated with God. And friends, if all we're left with is the perspective that the world gives about God, no wonder we want to stay away from Him. And we're in the place of obligation to God rather than desire and attraction. You see, God wants to lead us from that place to the place where we say, God, I want to love you. I want to follow you. I want to be yours. You know, if all we had of people was their Facebooks, all we believe about people is that they were vegan freaks who go to the gym every day and love their German shepherds. But you want to know something? That's not all there is to you. Amen? Friends, the Bible reveals who God really is. And I want to close with this story. It's a story. It's a very interesting story, actually. It's a true story of this woman who was older. And she decided to go back to college. She said, I want to move on with my life. She had gone out of, come out of some broken relationships. And she went to this college, older than some of the other college students. And while she was there, this class she had to take was this English class. And the teacher assigned this really thick novel she had to read by the end of the semester. She opened up the first page. She couldn't do it. She opened up the second page. She couldn't do it. She tried going to the end she opened up. She said, I just can't read this thing. My heart's not into this thing. Anyways, halfway into the semester, 
she ends up meeting somebody there, a young professor in the same department, and they end up falling in love. And one day, they're sitting out in this campus, grassy hill near the artificial lake that's there. And while they were there, she just starts complaining to him about this book she has to read. She said, I hate this book. I hate this book. I don't want to read this book. And he says, show me the book. Brings out the book. He chuckles. And he says, I wrote that book. And she just looked at him with great amazement. What? See, that's my pen name. I wrote that book. It's part of our department. And she's like, what? She's so embarrassed. But she goes home that day and she picks up that book again. And this time she starts reading it. And just loving the words that are in that book. You want to know why? Because she fell in love with its author. Friends, when we fall in love with the author of Scripture, we'll fall in love with His Word and all the things that He wants us to do and experience. Friends, the only plea and challenge I give to you today is to be open to what the Spirit of God wants to say to you personally, to you personally during this weekend. I don't believe this is just going to be another conference. I believe God wants to minister to all of us but he wants us to be open. Amen. Why don't we get on our knees and let's just take a moment to pray. And I believe the music team is coming up also for one more special music, but let's take a moment to pray and ask God to bless us with a new experience, a new revelation, a new hope. Father in heaven, thank you again for bringing us to the top of the mountain. Lord, we want to pray and ask that our hearts would be open to the things you want and been waiting to communicate to us personally. Lord, we pray that we would take advantage of this time, that our hearts would be prayerful, and not resistant to the Spirit of God. And Lord, may we receive a new revelation. And right now in this moment of silence, we just want to open our hearts to you. Father, thank you that even with our tired, weary prayers, that touched by Jesus, Lord, you hear them. God, thank you. You know the language of our heart even now. Thank you for being with us this beautiful Sabbath. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.